Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. WITF is one of just a handful of public media that are participating in a national project called Chasing the Dream, Poverty and Opportunity in America. Over the coming months, we'll look at what is a complex issue, its root causes, and how it impacts families and homes in Pennsylvania. Smart Talk kicks off Chasing the Dream, and yes, that is a reference to the American dream by focusing on where poverty is in Pennsylvania. And really, you can replace the word where with who and a number of other words there as well. It may not be where you think, though, when we're talking about geographic areas in Pennsylvania. Joining us on the program today is Joe Author, executive director of the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank. Scott Schul is vice president of community relations and development for Safe Harbor in Carlisle. And Barry Deck is the executive director of the Center for Rural Pennsylvania. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Let me tell our listeners at home that if you would uh, like to participate in our conversation about poverty, uh, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at org. Maybe you have a story to tell, experience that uh, you would like to uh, relate as well. Another uh, part of this uh, project is we're going to hear from people who have experienced poverty. In fact, we're going to hear from two women a little bit later today, or I should say later in the program, uh, who have lived through poverty, and they've come out on the other side now, uh, but it was a long, hard road, and uh, we'll hear from them as well. All right, there are a lot of myths surrounding poverty, and that's one of the things we want to get to with this. But, Scott Schuel, let me start with you. What don't most people know or understand about poverty? It could be your neighbor. It can be anyone who you know. You just may not know that they are in poverty. Uh, it affects society at all levels, from the individuals who are in poverty to those who pay their taxes to support the programs that assist those individuals in poverty. So it really affects all of society in some way. Now, how don't people know that or understand that? People might see their neighbor who has a nice house. They keep up their yard. They're doing well in terms of the outward appearance, but underneath that, they and many Americans, many folks in Pennsylvania, are a paycheck or less away from being in severe poverty. Uh, a layoff, a economic crisis, uh, the furnace goes out, uh, a family crisis, a health crisis, somebody has a severe medical situation that needs to be dealt with and they don't have health insurance or their health insurance will not cover all of that. There are many, many factors that affect folks falling into poverty or not being able to get out of poverty, education, not having the skills to find employment, being laid off after many, many years doing one job and needing to retrain, hopefully to find another job if those jobs are available where they live. Severe poverty, define that for me because I'm going to have some numbers for Joe Author in just a moment here. Uh, and one of the factors that is measured is severe poverty. What is severe poverty? Well, anything under $16,000 for an individual or I believe $24,000 for a family. Now that's severe poverty as a. Now that's the federal poverty line that's you're talking the poverty about. Poverty line, right. But that would be called considered severe poverty. Under that, yes. Okay. All right, let me give those numbers, Joe Author. Pennsylvania has a 13.7% poverty rate, meaning people living under the federal poverty level with 6% living in extreme poverty. 12% have food insecurity and more than 15,000 are homeless. 
bring some context to those numbers because we hear those numbers, we in the media report those kind of numbers all the time in relationship to poverty. And there probably are many people out there saying, I have no idea what that means. And, and that's part of the issue. There's so many statistics. We, we kind of get caught up in statistics in, in our work. But the reality is these are people. So uh, in our communities right here in central Pennsylvania, I like to uh, talk about things where people can really visualize it in their community. Across the state of Pennsylvania, two out of every five children in school uh, are, are receiving free or reduced meals, and most of those are free, the lunch program. So two out of every five. So when you look outside and you're watching the soccer kids play and Little League Baseball here, because we're in the season, if the rain ever stops. Yeah, I was going to say, when is it, when's that going to happen? <laughs> um, uh, in addition to getting wet, two out of those uh, five children out on that ball team are getting free lunches in school. Uh, that's uh, pretty disastrous in, in terms of, uh, you know, where our uh, society is as far as, uh, you know, wages and the ability of people to really uh, pay for all their, their living expenses, their food, et cetera. So we've got, uh, uh, we've got to put aside the statistics and realize that there are a lot of our neighbors uh, that are hurting, a lot of the folks that we go to the grocery store and see. Some of them are shopping. Some of them are, are waiting on us at the cashier line. Uh, restaurants, um, hospitals, uh, any any workplace is full of people that are struggling, even though they're working. And I think that's the key point. Uh, there are people, many families. Uh, almost half of our client households have someone who's working significant hours, uh, either full-time or wants to be full-time. So um, that's part of the issue. You can work very hard now and not have enough to make ends meet. Is that different? That is different than when I was doing volunteer work at our food bank as a, a, a on the board of directors. I'm now the executive director, so I'm part of the staff. Uh, but back in 2000, when I joined the board, um, we were talking a lot more about episodic uh, need. We were talking about emergency food. Uh, now it's supplemental. We are part of a systemic response to... Uh, many people who were in the middle class who now need some help to get by. Uh, it's a, a much different population, and we are three times as big because of it. How did that happen? Uh, there's a lot of it's the, the recession was the Great Recession was a big impact, but it was not the only impact. We're we're really on the tail end of about uh, three to four decades of an erosion of, of economic opportunity for uh, just middle Americans. Mm -hmm. And Scott Schull, before we went on the air, you uh, pulled out your calculator and uh, were doing some ciphering for us, uh, doing some, uh, looking at some numbers. If people are making minimum wage, if they're working for $9 an hour, what did you find? If they're working for $9 an hour, which is the, as I call it, enhanced minimum wage, for those companies who are saying, oh, well, we're, we're going to pay a little bit more. That's only uh, $18,800 a year at 40 hours a week um, when you're talking about gross pay. And so if you take that in you know, down a little further, that's $360 a week. And if then you add in things like rent or a mortgage, let's base it on around $800 a month for your rent or your mortgage, that would be $9,600 a year. So that's over half of your pay, which would go to just having a roof over your head. Now add in food, add in 
car insurance, health insurance, transportation. If child you had, care. If you have children, child care, because you have to work, so they have to go to daycare. Um, clothing the children, providing. And then if you have a situation, a, a tire goes flat on your car and you have to replace it. The muffler falls off. Something happens to the house. The furnace goes out. Um, essential things that you need. Um, now, how does that fit into a budget of $18,800 a year? Um, so it's difficult, even at the enhanced minimum wage, to make ends meet, especially if it's more than one person, if it's a family of three or four. Um, there are so many misperceptions or, or just folks who default to old stereotypes when it comes to poverty and and from our perspective, when it comes to homeless individuals and, and families, um, we, we fight very uh, two very enduring misperceptions on a daily basis. The first is when you say we work with homeless individuals and families, folks seem to default to the old stereotypes of a person who lives under underpass or who's on a steam grate or in a cardboard box somewhere. And, and that's not the majority of the folks that we work with on a daily basis. We have six-month-old children, we have families, we have elderly individuals, we have single fathers, we have families of several generations, all of them who are at or below the poverty level and who have experienced homelessness. And it's the causes that also people don't understand. There's a, another misperception that's, that's very hard to overcome. It's societal, and people think that homelessness is a choice, that folks say there's these programs out there that will help me, whether it's Bethesda Mission or Safe Harbor, Carlisle Care, Salvation Army, take your pick. And so I don't have to do anything. Well, first, anywhere from 10 to 20 percent of our folks are working, but they may not be full time. They are certainly at a minimum wage, so they're not making a significant amount of money. But also the causes. It's economic. They've lost a job. They don't have the education or retraining to get another job. Addiction issues. Addiction issues affect everyone. I know that ITF has been talking about the opioid addiction issue and heroin, but other addictions as well, whether it's gambling, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, those kind of things affect somebody's life. Mental health issues. A very high number of folks who are homeless are homeless because they have mental health issues that affect their ability to work, that affect their ability to be a, a contributing member of society. A family crisis. Someone has died. Someone uh, is divorced. Uh, a good example, we had a, a, a client, former client, who came to this area from Long Island area. Um, divorce. Mother of four children, ranging from middle school to two years old. Um, was not, did not have a job, but now needed a place for her and her children to be until she could get her life back together. Spent time with us. Is now in permanent housing, has a full-time job, and is doing well. But without that safety net in between, who knows? We're going to talk more about all those things you mentioned. But Barry Dank, I wanted to bring you in. One of the premises of this show is where Pennsylvanians are living in poverty. And one of the biggest myths or one of the biggest stereotypes is that uh, poverty only exists in poor inner cities or urban areas. It does happen there, but there are thousands of people in rural Pennsylvania and, for that matter, in the suburbs of Pennsylvania who are living in poverty as well. Kind of put a face to that of the Pennsylvanians who are living in rural areas but also living in poverty. Sure. Um, 
you know, you cited that, that uh, percentage of 13.7% of uh, the residents in Pennsylvania living, you know, in, in poverty. Um, we did a study on that and looked. Uh, there are 32 counties of Pennsylvania's 67 counties um, that have uh, a poverty rate above the statewide rate. Uh, and of those 32, 27 of them are rural. Um, you'll find it up in Erie. You'll find it in Tioga. You'll find it way down in Fayette County. And in fact, Fayette County in Southwestern, they've got a, a poverty rate of over 20%. Um, there is a, an awful lot of poverty uh, that exists in rural Pennsylvania. And it was referencing, you know, it could be one issue, homelessness. Uh, homelessness in rural Pennsylvania is undercounted because of the way the federal government counts uh, who's homeless and, and the reference of, of people living, you know, on the streets or under a bridge, that doesn't happen necessarily in rural Pennsylvania. And so there's an undercounting, if you will, an underreporting of those who are suffering from some situation that's put them in a bad financial uh, area. Forty-seven percent of rural residents who rent are paying 30 percent or more of their uh, monthly income to put a roof over their head. Um, well, so, Barry, why is it? I mean, we know that Pennsylvania, and not just Pennsylvania, but so many other states, have lost manufacturing jobs. And there were many rural Pennsylvanians who worked in manufacturing. Uh, in many of those areas, the jobs didn't come back. Is that the only factor? Is that the main factor? What are some of the factors that, that lead to poverty in rural Pennsylvania? A combination, but obviously one has to look at the economic picture and the types of jobs that are available and the types of incomes that they generate. Um, back in 1970, when we looked at, at income, uh, and in, in again, rural Pennsylvania, um, sizable 76% of income, household income, was from earned income, from wages, that type of thing. In 2010, that dropped down to 60%. So 40% of household income is now considered unearned income, and that it's classified. It includes retirement, um, and but also government pensions or government uh, subsidies, that type of thing. So um, income and and what generates income has has been affected clearly by the economy, by the loss of jobs, um, small businesses. Um, there are many small businesses in rural Pennsylvania. Uh, about 75% of the businesses in rural Pennsylvania employ nine people or less. They're small businesses. And so they may pay a, a decent wage, but um, fringe benefits, health care costs um, may not be able to provide that. And so with the cost of health insurance now, there's so many things that have contributed. Clearly, education is one. Uh, the ability to, for people to get some advanced education to improve their work skills and their attractiveness for jobs. There are quite a number of counties in rural Pennsylvania that do not have a post-secondary education institution within decent boundaries. Uh, some people are driving an hour, hour and a half to, to take a college course. Um, that's the reality. Uh, we often say in rural Pennsylvania, you're affected by geographic isolation and lack of population density. And those factors just play out their constants for individuals, but also for organizations that are trying to provide supportive services uh, for folks uh, that are in some situation. And one last point about the face of, of poor. I think there are myths and stereotypes as to as to who's poor. You know, some suggest that, well, they just don't want to work. They don't want to help themselves. But we know um, that 
a large percent of those living in poverty are under the age of 18 or over the age of 60. And those individuals are kind of hard-pressed to really control their destiny in terms of generating some type of income to support the family. So when we look at who's living in poverty, I think it, we need to understand it, it's not that 25-, 30-year-old individual who just doesn't want to work. Hmm. Um, that's not the face of, of poverty that we're seeing. Would you guys like to jump in on what Barry is, is saying about that? Because, I mean, you see clients from rural Cumberland County as Absolutely. well as uh, downtown Carlisle. And, uh, Joe, you have clients. I mean, Central Pennsylvania Food Bank goes all the way up to the northern tier and covers a lot of counties. So yeah, you I'll, have I'll, both. I'll take that um, simply because uh, Barry mentioned so many counties. We serve 27 counties all along the Susquehanna River, um, the whole center of the state. And most of our counties are very rural. Um, and uh, so most of our poverty is actually uh, uh, quite rural uh, geographically. Um, Getting back to, um, you know, who are these folks and, and the job situation, we have lost uh, right in this area, in the greater Harrisburg and the Cumberland County area, a huge number of manufacturers, very good jobs uh, over the last 15 to 20 years. And that has greatly impacted our economy here. It's, so it's not not just isolated to the, f the folks who have, who have lost their jobs, but our communities are impacted because those jobs have not come in back, have not come back post recession so we have a lot of families who have been ratcheted down in terms of their income level not because um, the breadwinner doesn't want to work but because they no longer can work in a factory that paid a very good wage and uh, had good benefits so uh, we have great employers in this area uh, and some very large ones and I commend them for their pay scales and, and their benefits but when you stretch out into rural areas there just are not a lot of employers that uh, are of that scale and, and have that capacity to pay. So it's a struggle out there. And you talk about rural Cumberland County. There are homeless individuals that come from that area. The interesting discussions that I have with folks, I ask them, are there homeless folks in your community? And, and they will very infrequently say, well, they may know one or two, or no, they don't know any. Part of that is, first, the services that these folks need are in Carlisle. So they come to the county seat. That's where the Housing Redevelopment Authority is. That's where their health, uh, Sadler Health Center, but that can help them. That's where Safe Harbor and Carlisle Cares and Salvation Army, that's where we're located. That's, and with a county that does not have a very good public transportation infrastructure to get folks from Newville and Shippensburg and those areas in and back out again. So they come because they most likely don't have transportation, so they're going to stay in those areas. But there are folks who come from those areas who are homeless. Yeah. And again, the other issue is it's not about laziness. It's not about people who say, oh, I, I just don't want to work and people will take care of me. The majority of the folks who we work with on a daily basis would much rather be independent. They'd rather have their own housing, have a job, and our mission is to move these folks to independence by increasing their basic life skills, whether that's education or whatever it takes so they can be independent, contributing members of society again. Hey, Barry, I want to talk about that distance in uh, just a few minutes, sure. but uh, we have, uh, we have uh, two women who uh, have 
you know, they have lived in poverty, and we're going to hear from them in just a moment. So uh, we'll be with them in just a moment, then come back to our panel after that. Chasing the Dream, Poverty and Opportunity in America is a multi-platform, multi, uh, or excuse me, public media initiative. Let me start this again. Chasing the Dream, Poverty and Opportunity in America is a multi-platform public media initiative that provides a deeper understanding of the impact of poverty on American society. Funding for this initiative is provided by the JPB and Ford Foundations with additional local support from Capital Area Intermediate Unit, the Community First Fund, Lancaster Lebanon Habitat for Humanity, and Restore and Tri-County Community Action. Learn more at WITF.org slash Chasing the Dream. As WITF's Chasing the Dream coverage continues, we invite you to a free public forum Thursday, June 9th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Public Media Center here in Harrisburg. What's it like to live within poverty's grip? What can communities do to ensure affordable housing and quality education is available for all? Be part of this important conversation. Register online at WITF dot org slash chasing the dream you're listening to smart talk on witf your home for npr news and all things regional i'm scott lamar the city of harrisburg has one of the highest poverty rates in pennsylvania with 25 to 30 percent of its residents living below the federal poverty level thousands have grown up in and remain poor in harrisburg natasha MacArthur was one of them and she joins us now miss MacArthur, welcome to the program Good morning, everyone. Tell me about uh, growing up. And you did grow up in Harrisburg, right? Yes. Tell me about uh, growing up in Harrisburg. Were things tough? It was very tough. I lived with two aunts that took care of me and another little cousin. It was a struggle. Going to John Harris and having to walk so so far to go to school and trying to keep up with grades and getting a job. Very, very hard. Was money tight in your household? Yes, it was. We actually, we had a uh, oil furnace, so we had, for the most of the winter, we used kerosene heaters and rowing programs and food stamps and trying to make ends meet. And w- was that because jobs were so hard to find? Uh, were there people who were working, uh, you know, had jobs and working in the household? Yes, they actually had jobs, but not always the best jobs. Like, my aunt worked for a long time for a nonprofit organization where she didn't get paid a lot, but she she's always been, you know, a strong-willed woman that likes to help people. So mm-hmm. watching her struggle was definitely tough. So when you said you were going to John Harris, uh, uh, you know, how, how did you do in school? I mean, it must have been difficult with that kind of background to concentrate, to focus enough, to maintain good grades. It was hard. I almost, I didn't get to walk into graduation, but I did get my diploma that year. I didn't have to do any summer school, but I almost didn't and would have had to repeat uh, 12th grade. So it was definitely, especially at that age, it got even harder to focus and stay on track and do what I had to do. What was the low point for you growing up? Um, Honestly, when my mother passed away, my mom passed away when I was, I want to say, a good 10 years old. So, yeah, that, that's, that's difficult for, for anyone, that's for sure. And that just uh, made it more difficult because you probably didn't know where you were going to live. And, again, there wasn't a lot of money. So when you became an adult and you, you did get your diploma, what did you do then? Uh, honestly, <laughs> shortly after I got my diploma and I found out I was pregnant with my first child. 
I mean, he's a blessing and a lesson because I did get my diploma, but it, we went from shelters. We really struggled, and then I moved around a lot because I got Philly, uh, family in Philadelphia, and I moved there. His family lived in New York. I moved there, and I never could get stable. When you say that uh, his family, you mean the father of, of yeah. your child. Yeah. Uh, but you had to move around. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you had to ask if you know we could stay here tonight or stay here for a certain period of time. That must have been difficult. Very difficult. It was. It's, but it was in the best interest of him. It wasn't even about pride at that point. It was what I can do to survive. You said not about pride. What do you mean by that? I mean, uh, was there... A lot of people just rather struggle and not ask for the help, or a lot of people want to move from pillar to post and ask neighbor to neighbor to stay there, whereas, though, you know, at some points I had to swallow it up and say, well, go to the shelter because maybe they'll help you find something, you know, for you and your kid. When do you reach that point when you swallow that pride and say, this is what I have to do to survive? I, I actually lived with a friend in Harrisburg, and her boyfriend was on the run. And the cops came and ran and broke in the house, and me and my son was laying on the floor, and there were guns in our face and everything. So at that point, it was like, you know, you can't keep living like this. You can't keep putting your son through this. You got to, he was a baby, thank God. He probably wouldn't even know, know nothing about it. But to me, that was like, no, come on, you got to do better. And maybe if you ask for help from other people versus the family that you know, you might get a better outcome. So you did ask for help from other people. Now, you said that you went from shelter to shelter to shelter. Uh, did you ask for help when you were doing that? Yes, I always had to. But, but when did when did it finally start turning around for you? I actually moved back home. I actually got to stay with my aunt for a while, and I lived there all the way up until I can get public housing. And since then, I haven't looked back. I went through the welfare uh, um trying to think of the name of the program. It's like a welfare-to-work program. And I went there with them. The EDSI program is what it's called. And I, like, for real, that's where a lot of my opportunities came from. I wouldn't know half the people I know or deal with half the people I deal with now. <laughs> I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for that, for that you know, break. Well, where are you today? What are you doing I, today? I actually work for the Tri-County Community Action Program. I'm an energy assistance specialist, and I pretty much I'm still a little bit in poverty, but I'm more self-sufficient than I was before I volunteered here through the Keys program at Hack. And once I, vol I volunteered for a year and a half, and they actually shortly after had a, a, a job opening. So, from what I understand, you're trying to get a degree, too? Yes. I actually was going to hack for, like, two, three years. Two years, I want to say, a good two years. And after a while, it was like I can't keep living off of welfare and take care of my kids. It was getting too overbearing. My son is actually in a private school downtown. I went, um, I volunteered at the St. Francis Soup Kitchen and here at the Community Action while I was in school because I still had to maintain 20 hours a week of some type of activity, and uh, school wasn't good enough, so I would have to I would have to make up the hours through community service. Mm -hmm. So I met the, uh, uh, trying to think of his name, Mr. Kirk that run the Joshua Group through the South, um, the St. Saint, Saint Francis Soup Kitchen, 
and I met a lot of great people here at the Community Action. I was volunteering. I was doing both. At, at one. Well, you're, I, you want to go to the other one. You're, you're, you are busy. <laughs> I'll yeah. say that. Well, you're a success story, and uh, I, I, I'm sure that when you talked about pride, that you have to be proud of uh, where you came from and where you are now, even though you said you still have a long way to go, uh, that you have come a long way. Yes, a very, very, very long way. Natasha MacArthur, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you. And we're going to hear from someone in a, a rural area of Pennsylvania in just a moment. I'm just curious, uh, your gentleman, the, the, you gentlemen, uh, your reaction or your thoughts on what you heard from Natasha. I, I, I'd like to... Uh, First of all, commend Natasha. What a, what a wonderful story. And, and uh, we work uh, directly with some of the partners that she uh, talked about and works for now. The community action uh, uh, folks are, are amazing, and they are helping uh, so many people like Natasha get, get back to sustainability. And it's hard work, and, and most of the hard work is actually done by the client. Uh, as Natasha shows. It's wonderful. And she mentioned the Joshua Group. They have a new Joshua Learning Center uh, right in one of the toughest sections on the hill in Harrisburg. Uh, and they are they are helping uh, children on up to adults um, to just have much better lives by uh, having educational resources and opportunities to to create their own resilience. So uh, I just love I love her story. Uh, uh, and there's those organizations are doing tremendous work to help folks. Scott, two things jumped out at me. Uh, the first is she was talking about going from uh, person to person to place to place for shelter. Um, the, the, the technical term is couch surfing. And, and there are a number of folks who do that uh, on a daily basis. And they are not considered technically homeless under federal standards because they're not being served by a shelter or an organization that helps a homeless individual because somehow, some way, they've been able to find shelter. Um, so that's uh, typical of what a lot of folks do. They, whether it's a friend, a relative, a family member, or somebody who is helping them out. Um, so that uh, we hear a lot of that. The other thing is that uh, she has, even though she has worked on getting her education, she's employed, she still said she's on the edge of poverty. So she has worked hard, and what she has done is very commendable, but she still is probably a paycheck or less away if she were not employed to be back to being where she was before she got where she is now. All right. So Natasha MacArthur uh, grew up in the city of Harrisburg and uh, told us her story. Let's go to a rural area of, of Pennsylvania and uh, to hear, uh, you know, someone who was growing up in one of the or grew up in one of the most rural areas of the state. Potter County is one of the most rural and sparsely populated counties in Pennsylvania. Known as God's Country, Potter is also known for the outdoors activities it offers, like hunting, fishing, forest, and parks. But because Potter County is so rural, there aren't a lot of employers there, not a lot of jobs. Martha Marty Warren lives in Austin, Potter County. Marty, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You grew up in the northern tier of Pennsylvania. Uh, now you live in Potter County, but uh, you grew up in uh, Tioga County, still a very rural county. Tell me about growing up. Well, um, I thoroughly enjoyed the small town atmosphere. And as a kid growing up in a small town, it was absolutely wonderful. Um, 
as we get older, the the choices and the availability of employment when we need to be employed is is very far and few. But I I loved it. I love the seasons here. Um, winter gets a little hard sometimes, but as a kid, you don't really care. When you were growing up, was there money in the house? Yes, both my parents were were very well employed. My mother was uh, a secretary, professional secretary uh, for a tanning company here, and my father was a school teacher principal. But as an adult, when you were out on your own, what did you do to make a living? I, I started out um, doing modeling in Baltimore. I lived in Baltimore, and I would commute to New York City and then I helped out a friend of mine who, whose bookkeeper was out sick for an extended time and discovered that I thoroughly loved working with figures and doing the, the books. And that's back in the day when everything was done manually. There was no computers to help you out. So I, I just grabbed on a hold of that, and that's, that's what I did for the rest of my career working. But you were a model in Baltimore, and as you mentioned, you commuted to New York. How did you get back to uh, to Tioga and Potter counties? Um, that's that's with my parents as they as they aged, and I had two daughters of my own. I was raising. I I found it very important for that connection for me to to be closer and more able to. To help them out, so we we moved back. I actually moved out to Arizona and lived out there for several years, and that's where my daughters were born. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go to 2011, and you were living in Potter County then. What was life like for you in 2011, about five years ago? Yeah, it it was really hard. I I had come back and. I found myself working a really good position. Um, it was in the accounting field, and unfortunately, it was with a gas company, and, and they had a lot of layoffs, and I was one of the people that got laid off. And try as, as I might to find employment in the same area, it just it never happened. And I did get, I did get with um, Experience Works program, which is a, a program for us a little more senior, but the hours were very limited and the the pay rate was very low and I couldn't work any other positions while I was on that program. And I just, you know, things get, went from bad to, you know, just accumulating more and more, you know, of my back on rent and utilities and it, it got tough. Well, you sound like uh, you had been a, had a, a pretty successful career and had uh, some positions where you made a good living. Uh, this must have been a shock to you at that time when you lost your job and you were on a limited income and there weren't a lot of opportunities. Yeah, I was I was pretty devastated. I I had a really hard time um dealing with it um but just you know, you have to you have to just go on, you know, and and do what you can and make do with what you have. And it it was really hard, and it got it got to the point where it was so bad. I was I was unfortunately being evicted from from where I was living because 
because of the the rent so far in the arrears. So it's it it's hard, you know. It's it's hard to ask for help, and then you know you just you do what you have to do. And I'm I'm thankful and grateful that the help was there for me. When you said that uh, you were almost evicted, so you were right on the verge. It sounds like of becoming homeless. Oh yeah, I I had my I had my I had my bags boxes packed and and didn't know where I was going, but you know was was trying desperately to find something, and that's when the Northern Tier Community Action Corporation came into into my life. Um, through Lisa Harris, and just just an absolute blessing. I want to talk about that in just a moment, but, you know, one of the things we're trying to do in the program today is show that even though, uh, you know, many people have their stereotypes or uh, in, they have these uh, visions in mind of what poverty is in uh, different areas of the state that they may not know, and there are a lot of myths out there, uh, living in a rural area like Potter County, but having lived in more populated areas like Baltimore and New York and Arizona, uh, what did you feel like you were missing in Potter County with not having a job? What were you doing without? Uh, food sometimes. Um, just the, you know, your daily um, toiletries. Um Cleaning supplies, things like that. Um, I I was able to get some help with with food, with groceries, but you know it, it wasn't it wasn't a you know an abundance by any means. But the the cash that I did have went for for gas back and forth to to my work, which you know I mean that's being rural that you're driving quite a ways from wherever you live, unless you live you know right next door to where you work. And like I said, the you know just the cleaning supplies, the soaps, the deodorants, um, bathroom stuff, toilet papers. Um, it's it gets very humbling, very very humbling. What was the lowest point for you? Um, the lowest point for me was just the total total devastation of not knowing where I was gonna go. Um, I mean, obviously, I had my car, but you know, the little bit of possessions that I did have, I, you know, I just, I had given up and moved so many times in my life. I just, I was having a hard time facing having to do it again. So, as you mentioned, you did seek help and you got help. Tell us about that. I actually kind of stumbled stumbled into it because where I where I'm employed. Um, is Potter County Human Services, and I and part of my job is to help other people, clients and consumers who call in, and they have needs for you know their utilities are being shut off or they're being evicted in ca- different cases. And um, I had gotten a call from Lisa Harris uh, through the. Potter County, or not Potter, but the Northern Cheer Community Action Corp, and she was calling me about one of her consumers, and we got talking and visiting, and lo and behold, she said that she thought she could help me with my situation, and that's how it all came about. It just, 
I didn't know I didn't know about them and you know she was calling me about something else and it just was just I mean an absolute blessing because I was pretty much out the door um, looking at living in my car and that was even though you were working oh yeah yeah but it was part-time and and hours limited and um, you know it just a tough deal. I was very thankful for the Experience Works program. I wished, you know, it could have been more hours, obviously, but it, it eventually, you know, it, it came around. It just it took time and and you know the the programs that that helped me were just you know at the right time and and everything's kind of come around. Marty, what don't people know about poverty in rural Pennsylvania? I don't. I think that most people don't have have any idea how many people it affects. You know, the the majority of the people that I've I've come in contact with are very very proud people. They you know they just they don't want to admit the situation and they don't don't really know how to ask for the help or where to turn and you know that it's that it's there that there's people there to help them so we try to we try to you know encourage and direct our consumers you know to to the to the places they need to talk to that could possibly help them and i i think that it's people just you know they they kind of have have blinders on I, i'm not sure they just don't don't care, don't see it. I'm not not really sure. I mean, nobody really knew, you know, how bad I was off because I just, I didn't tell everybody about it. Uh, Marty Warren, I want to thank you very much for telling your story today to us on the WITF Smart Talk. Thank you, Scott, and you have a blessed day. Hey, Barry Dank, want to bring you in now. And uh, as I said, uh, Potter County, one of the most rural counties in the state. But uh, your thoughts on uh, what you heard there from Marty? Well, um, we just heard two phenomenal uh, personal situations uh, of people living in poverty. And I think it's important to say that you cannot paint one face of poverty. Uh, it is as diverse as this Commonwealth. And whether you're in Philadelphia or in Potter County, if you're living in, potter, in poverty, you're living in poverty. The challenge uh, oftentimes is how we deal with the issue and the resources that are brought together, S- certainly from a public policy standpoint. Things play out differently in rural Pennsylvania. And, and, and to her point about, she said it twice, I think, it was hard to ask for help. If, if you go to the single grocery store in County X, and you use your access card, everybody knows you have that access card. It's, it's very difficult for people in small communities to, to want others to know what's going on. And that's if you're in, a, in an abusive relationship, if you have some substance abuse issue and you need help, uh, if you have a mental health challenge. It's very tough for rural, some rural folk to openly admit that and to seek help because everybody is sort of your neighbor. Um, and, it, and it's tough for, for some folks to admit that they need some help. And then the challenge of finding out where that help is and, and where do you go to get it. And, and transportation is absolutely a challenge in rural Pennsylvania, particularly if you want to uh, pursue education, um, if you want to find a job and keep a job, 
whether you have reliable uh, transportation or access to public transportation. And one final comment about uh, going back to our early talk about about why you know people are in poverty and the differences between urban and rural. There is an over eleven thousand eight hundred dollar per capita income gap between urban and rural Pennsylvania. And so that means clearly there's less income, there's less money in rural Pennsylvania. Part of that is because of the the nature of jobs that are out there. So that not only affects people living in poverty, but it also affects those community-based organizations that need public dollars through United Way, through all types of of campaign funds to help underwrite um, social service and human service programs. When you have limited dollars to go around, that affects every aspect of a community. And that does, in some instances, really set rural apart from our more urbanized, suburbanized areas, where they have a diversity of economy, they have a diversity of income sectors, um, and diversity of individuals and groups and organizations that can support worthwhile causes. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to WITF Smart Talk. It's uh, the start of our Chasing the Dream project, focusing on poverty here in uh, Pennsylvania. And let's go to the telephone. We have a couple callers try to get them on the air before the end of the program. Gary is in Juniata County. Gary, you're on the air. Yeah, I just wanted to mention, first of all, I failed to mention about the reliable access to the Internet in rural areas. That's right. Terrible. But then the other thing is, I went to a meeting about four or five years ago. I was going around for Penn State doing the farm energy program. And this guy got up in front of the meeting and said, how would you like to work really hard all day? He was milking cows, knowing you were going to lose $75 that day. Now, doesn't that, I mean, it just hurts so bad. And it's something that farmers have no control over. They just had something on NPR yesterday uh, commodity prices, again, being so low, they're back to where they were when we moved here in the 90s, where you can buy a bushel of corn for like 350 That's what it was 20 years ago. So, you know, guys that are planting this may not, they'll probably get their seed costs out of it, but they're not going to get their labor. They're not going to get much profit, and they have absolutely no control over that. So it, it is almost imperative for farmers today to have at least uh, a second wage earner, you know, that works off the farm because it's almost impossible to reliably count on, you know, farm income. But, hey, thank you very much. Hey, thank you, Gary, for pointing that out, because you're talking hard work when you're talking about uh, farming. Linda is in New Providence. Linda, you're on the air. Yes, good morning. I wanted to clarify the definition of homelessness, and I'm looking at the website for National Health Care for the Homeless Council. That's funded by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And, yes, they use the definition of homeless homelessness as um, primary residents being in a supervised temporary shelter overnight, either public or private. But also, Marty, who was couch surfing, I'm sorry, the caller who said she was couch surfing. Natasha, yeah. uh, Yes. Also comes under the definition of homelessness because an individual may be considered homeless if that person is doubled up, a term that refers to a situation where individuals are unable to maintain their housing situation and are forced to stay with a series of friends and or extended family members. And I am a retired school counselor. I would sometimes find that we had children living outside our district and the parents couldn't tell us, didn't tell us. I think out of fear of then being required to pay tuition. But when I discovered they were outside of our district because they were homeless and staying with various persons, I could tell them 
that under the law they were considered homeless and were entitled to certain services in the school district, transportation for their children to the school no matter where they lived. There are various services that can be offered to them. Hey, I'm glad you called in, Linda. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, we only have about uh, three minutes left in the program, and there's so much that uh, we can cover. And the good thing about it is this is an ongoing program or project that's chasing the dream, so we can discuss many of the, the things that uh, have been brought up today. i let each of you kind of wrap up here to, today. Barry Dink, let me start with you in a, a minute or so. Uh, you know, a lot of the things we discussed today, uh, we brought in a lot of issues, but what message do you like? Would you like to leave people know about people living in poverty? Um, as, as I said, um, you you cannot say paint a single face of poverty. It, it is as diverse as this state is. Um, and, and as an advocate for rural, I would just offer that we really need to look at how diverse this Commonwealth is in terms of, particularly its geographic makeup, and and recognize that public policy and public programs while very, very well intended at times, can be based on an urban application because they have the aggregation of numbers and the ability to deliver services sometimes much more easily in rural areas. Rural needs at times to be looked at differently because it is different and things play out differently. Okay. Uh, Scott Schull, what about you? Well, I, I think it would be that those who are in need and those who are seeking assistance would much rather be independent and be on their own, be contributing members of society. So don't look at those individuals as lazy, as not wanting to contribute, but they really do want to be part and want to do their part, but they need the opportunity, they need the safety net, and that's what we provide is a safety net. We not only provide shelter, but we provide supportive services. So we help folks increase their basic life skills. We help them with parenting issues. We help them get employment training. We help with the youth who come through our our, uh, our shelter as well. So we are, again, just a safety net, and we look to get them to independence again, and they want that independence. Joe Arthur, what about you? Uh, two things, uh, Scott. Uh, first of all, uh, we think the, the problems are solvable. Uh, there's a lot of great work going on, but in order to solve them, we're really going to need more uh, of our public to help us get the abundance that's out there uh, into solving some of these problems. And we feel we're a, a big part of that, as are our partners that we work with every day. The second thing is we just need to look to our farmers. We uh, we heard uh, Gary talk about uh, farmers and their struggles. They're also a great example of somehow getting it done, making a living, uh, uh, and really helping others while they do that, even with all the challenges uh, that they have. We love our ag friends. Two percent of the population feeds us. They're amazing, and we can look to their example to how to solve our, our other problems. You know, the, the, the two guests that we had on the, on the telephone uh, talking about the, their experiences, a couple words that stick out to me, pride, stigma, not knowing what to do, and we'll cover all those things in, in the future on the, as part of this project. Gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for being with us today. Joe Author, Executive Director of Central Pennsylvania Food Bank. Scott Schull is Vice President of Community Relations and Development for Safe Harbor, Harbor in Carlisle. And Barry Dank, Executive Director of the Center for Rural Pennsylvania. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional.